Over the last several weeks, we've been trying to discover ways that we can do our best, that we can be the very best that we can be for our Lord and Savior, who's obviously given his very best for us. Today, we'll be looking, continuing in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We're going to find out a way we can ask the very best question. If you want to get the best answer, you got to know the right question, the best question to ask. And we're going to take a look at that here in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25, where Jesus has presented a good question. didn't quite come in the right spirit, but it actually is a very good question. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus responds to that uh, here in Luke chapter 10. Again, we'll start verse 25. My third grade teacher told us there were no bad questions. That was before Billy Swanson asked her where boogers came from. (laughs) Who knows, maybe Billy's a neurosurgeon now, and that biological question was his next step toward that great career in medical science. Or uh, maybe he was just being an honorary little third grader. I don't know. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is approached by a legal scholar who was kind of acting like an ordinary little third grader. He thinks he has a question that will test Jesus or at least trap him into saying something that later this legal scholar could bring against him in a court of law. Jesus, however, uses the opportunity to tell one of the best known parables In the Bible, we're actually going to look at that parable next week. We'll look at the introduction to it this week. It provides some insight, not only into the kingdom of God, but also into how much God loves us and how we can show that love to each other. It's important to have... The right question. Well, here's the question. We'll we'll, we'll skip right to the end here. I'll give you the the end of the book uh, real quick here. The, the, The right question is this. How do I have eternal life? How do I do that? Now, we express that question in a lot of ways. We ask, how do I get into heaven? Or we say, what can I do to give my life meaning? Or we ask, is is this all that there is? Surely there's something else. Or we might ask, what is my purpose in life? There's a lot of ways to ask this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a good question. In fact... Answering that question incorrectly could be not only catastrophic for our eternal life, it's catastrophic for our life right now. So so this is a question we not only need to ask, we need to get the right answer. Now, unfortunately, the man who is talking to Jesus here in Luke chapter 10 wasn't really looking for the right answer. He thinks he already knows. He was yet another in a very long line of religious leaders of the New Testament day who were trying to trap Jesus with what they thought were trick questions. Here's how the passage begins in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit 
eternal life. An expert in the law, that that phrase when it appears in the New Testament, it describes a a, a special group of religious leaders. Their, Their official title was scribe, but these particular scribes were were those who not only would write down the scripture, but they also would teach the scripture. In other words, this fellow would have thought of himself as an expert in scriptural law. He thought he was an expert in answering the question that he was asking Jesus. No doubt his hope was not to discover the answer, but to to somehow uh, put Jesus in a spot where they could either have a public debate and this legal scholar could just show how wonderfully wise and smart that he was, or uh, Jesus would answer in some way that later on this legal scholar could bring him before the courts and have him tried and finally get rid of him altogether. So we asked Jesus... Something that probably was a standard question in in most religious circles. We can understand that. Again, this is a question that we ask often, a question that, that we hear often, a question that should be asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's pause for a moment here and take a look at the question. First, again, understand that the scribe is not asking this question because he actually wants to know the answer. He thinks he already knows. He's asking this question to try to trap Jesus. But before we condemn this scribe for what he's doing, we need to take a look at some of the questions that we ask Jesus. Sometimes our prayers are not so much seeking Jesus' answer as trying to make him do what we want him to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus invites us to come into his presence with our request, with those things in our life that we don't understand, with those things in our life where where things are are not going the way that we thought that they would, and to, to seek His wisdom and to seek His power. Jesus wants us to do that. But we need to guard ourselves against what we might call an entitlement mentality. That this leader of the law was showing in his question to Jesus. Too often we come to Christ already knowing what we think we want Him to do. Rather than coming to Christ, seeking His will and His wisdom. This expert of the law had an agenda with Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes we come to the Lord with an agenda. We know what we want Him to do. In fact, and we may not say it this way, but in our heart we're thinking, Lord, why don't you do this? This thing that I want you to do, why haven't you done it yet? We should always seek to come to Jesus with praise, with thanksgiving, with confession. And yes, with intercession, with with bringing the needs and the, the, the things that we don't understand in life, coming to the Lord and saying, Saying, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I, 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 help me to understand 
what's going on here. Or if I can't understand it, Lord, help me to deal with it in a way that glorifies you. We should always seek his way rather than trying to squeeze Jesus into our way. I've been canoeing a few times in my life. It's usually when I've taken a group that wanted to go canoeing. It's probably not something that I would voluntarily choose to do because I've gone canoeing before. (laughs) I know kind of how it goes. It's a lot of work and I end up coming home smelling like an old fish. But in the times I've gone canoeing, I have learned some valuable lessons in life, and this is, is, is one of those things. Uh, when it's time to take out the canoe, you know, when you've gotten through and you're all tired, and you've, you've gone down the river and you've come to that point, uh, when you rent your canoe, they always tell you where the takeout point is, and, and they drive their little canoe trailer down, and they meet you at this point, and they say, this is where I'm going to meet you, and so you need to take your canoe out there, and I'll load it on the trailer, and we'll... We'll take you back up to where your car is. Now, so when you come to that point in, in the river where you know this is the point where I'm supposed to take the canoe out, you need to start aiming your canoe toward that point before you get there. Because <laughs> first time this happened, I, the, the guy that ran the canoes, I'd taken some, some college students out. We were, we were canoeing, and so I said, okay, it's, it's right around this bend where we're, we're going to take the canoes out. So we come around the Ben, and we see the guy standing there waving at us. We see his trailer there pulled up where we can do so. I said, okay, this is where we're going out. And, and I waited until I got to where the guy was to start pointing my canoe. This doesn't work. <laughs> Just slid right on by. <laughs> at which point I said, well, i got to turn the canoe around. we got to paddle back. So we, so we turned our canoe around and started to paddle against the current. This doesn't work so well. <laughs> Especially at this particular point in, in the river where the current was a little bit stronger, a lot stronger than I was able to get the canoe. So basically we had to just turn the canoe back around and go down a little further until we could come to another point where we could take the canoe out and carry the canoe back to where this fellow was with the trailer. I learned my lesson. Paddling a canoe upstream, not a great way to do that. And carrying the canoe outside of the water was misery. It's a whole lot better to just go with the flow of the current. Too many times as believers, spiritually, we are paddling upstream against the current of God's will. Now, we don't do that intentionally sometimes. We're not setting out to go against what God would want us to do. It's just we, we think, well, i got time. I can wait. I have plenty of time to turn my life toward Jesus, and all of a sudden, <laughs> we've passed the takeout point. And suddenly we're, we're paddling that canoe upstream, and it's not going to do well. It's far better to come to Jesus with a simple plea, one that he taught us. As he came to a point in his life where he comes before his father and says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Our sincere desire above everything else should be that God's will be done in our life. And the fact is, if His will is done in our life, everything else falls together. 
It's just like going with the current. You know, if I'd have just gone with the current and aimed my canoe over there with the current, I'd have gone right out of the river, no problem whatsoever, which is what the guy that collected our canoes told me after we'd walked half a mile back to get to him to, to the trailer. He said, well, if you just followed what I told you to do, it would have been fine. If we'll just point our canoe of life in the will of our Father, he'll do what Jesus promised us. When Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But the reality is that, that and I always get, get these backwards if it's a metaphor or a simile or whatever, I don't know. Anyway, that, that, the story that I just told you about the canoe, that's actually not really accurate. Because when we try to go against God's will, it's not really like paddling upstream in a river. It's like trying to paddle our canoe up a waterfall. <laughs> we have to realize something this expert in the law in Luke chapter 10 needed to learn. It's not about us. The scribe's question actually reveals the problem. Not only of this expert in the law, but it reveals the problem of really the majority of people on the planet today. Listen again to the question. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This was all about this expert in the law. What, what he reveals in the question is exactly what he believed. He believed that if he followed all of the rules and the laws that conveniently he and his cohorts had, had put together, if he, he followed those laws of the scribes and the Pharisees, then he'd be okay. And the reality is that's what most people in our world today believe. If you ask ten people, and, and this is going to be true here in Springfield as well. It's not just in the world. It's true right here in the state. If you ask ten people on the street here in Springfield, how do you get to heaven? Nine of them, in all likelihood, will give you an answer that will be some version of, well, if I'm just a good person and you know, I don't kill anybody, I don't rob any banks, and I'm nice to people, I think I'll be okay. I hope I'll be okay. I think I'll make it. For most people, it's what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what this expert in the law thought. After all, he was an expert. If anybody could keep the law, it would be this guy. So, so Jesus plays along. Verse 26, he says, well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He, the scribe, answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, why did Jesus answer the question that way? Why wouldn't Jesus just give him some straight version of, of the gospel, or at least give him a four spiritual loss track, or, you know, peace with God, or something? Why does Jesus say, well, you go out there and keep the law and you'll be fine? Why did Jesus say it that way? Well, for one thing, Jesus was telling him the truth. If you perfectly keep the law, 
You will have eternal life. Love God perfectly and love people perfectly. You're good to go. But there's a problem. And this expert in the law, he realized what the problem was. The only way he could perfectly keep the law is if somehow he could lower the bar a little bit. If somehow he could write the law in such a way that he could keep it. And so that's exactly what he tries to do there in Jesus' presence because he realizes that Jesus identified exactly what the problem is. This scribe knew that he hadn't perfectly loved God all the time. He knew that he hadn't perfectly loved other people all the time. But he thinks he's found a loophole. Here's what he says in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Here was the problem, and this expert in the law knew it. He couldn't be perfect to everybody. So if he could just define who his neighbor was, small enough to the people that he could be righteous to, well, then maybe he would make it. And Jesus' answer to that question, who is my neighbor, is one of the most familiar parables that we know in, in the New Testament, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. We're going to look at that parable next week. But this week, we need to realize what this expert in the law was coming to realize. What we all need to understand. We can't do what is needed to inherit eternal life. I was coming out of, of class when I, I was in college and class had gotten over and I, I came out. And, and there was a lady that was out uh, there in the street in front of where this, the building was, where the class was. And she'd had a flat tire. And she caught me as I was coming down the sidewalk and says, can you, can you help me change my tire? She obviously did not know who she was asking. <laughs> but I thought, you know, changing the tire, that's not that difficult to do. So I'm not sure I'll help you out. So I got out her, her tire and got at her car jack, and I, I jacked her car up and, and, and pulled off her flat tire. And as I turned around to lay the tire on, on the sidewalk, I heard this kind of creaking sound. <laughs> and I turned around, and her car had, had shifted off of the jack and onto the sidewalk. <laughs> So what was my first instinct in that moment as I saw her car leaning over and with no wheel there on the back where I'm taking it off now falling on the sidewalk? Well, I ran over there and I was going to push it back on the jack. <laughs> there on the side of her 1984 Impala, going to lift it up off the sidewalk, <laughs> put it back on the jack out in the street. Well, that worked out about as well as uh, what you think it would. And as I was there... <laughs> pushing against the back of her car, uh, she said, you know, I think I'll go call a tow truck. <laughs> I thought that was a wonderful idea. Would have been a better idea about five minutes before when, I, when she'd asked me to change the tire, but whatever the case, there was no way that I was going to lift that car off the sidewalk back up onto the jack. Now, as ridiculous as it was for me to be sitting there trying to lift that car off the sidewalk, it is even more ridiculous for us to think that we can work our way into heaven. 
that, that somehow we can be good enough to stand in the presence of a perfectly righteous and holy God. Jesus was going to show this Pharisee and us this very important truth in, in the parable that he tells. And we'll again look at that next week. And, and we know the rest of this story anyway. Jesus has done what we can't do. Jesus had lifted the car off the sidewalk. He's paddled the canoe up the waterfall. Or as the scripture so profoundly puts it in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has done what we cannot do. Jesus has made it possible for us to have eternal life. The answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, a good question. But the right answer is, you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. Only Jesus can give us what we desperately need. Heavenly Father, Help us this morning to understand this. This is a good question. In fact, it's a question that every person needs to ask. Maybe, Heavenly Father, there's someone here in this room that's never asked this question. Maybe there's someone watching this online that's never asked this question. They've never really thought about, well, what do, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Well, what's that all about? Because they thought in their mind they've already got it taken care of. They've been a good person. They're nice. They work hard. They support their family. They haven't done anything really, really bad. Heavenly Father, it's not about us. There is no possible way that we could stand in your perfect presence on our own. And we have to come to understand that. We have to realize that we are lost. In our sin. But God in your mercy. In your grace. You did what we cannot do. You came into our world. You lived a perfect life. And you gave a perfect sacrifice. On the cross for us. So that we might have everlasting life. In you. Help us to see that, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's an opportunity for you to consider your own life. And maybe you're asking this question this morning. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to go to heaven. I want to live forever. How do I do that? Well, first thing to understand is you can't do it on your own. None of us can. But Jesus has done exactly what we need.
He gave his life on the cross, and then three days later he rose again to prove it, to show us that he and he alone can give us everlasting life. And, and we'd like to tell you about that. Now, normally we'd have you come to the front and sit down and talk with you about it, and we still would love to do that, but because of all the virus restrictions and everything, we're not able to do that quite the same way right now. But we still want to talk to you, and so uh, there in the pews before you, you'll see there's some cards. Just take one of those out and fill in the contact, contact information for us. There's some baskets at the doors as you exit. Just drop it right there in the basket, and we'll be uh, glad to contact you and, and just talk it over. We'll, we'll talk about, that. again, most important question you'll ever ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We want to talk about that with you, and we want to show you in the Bible how Jesus has already done Everything that you need, all you have to do is receive it. We'll share that with you. You just let us know. Maybe there's some other questions you have on your heart. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and uh, we'll be glad to share with you how you can be a part of what God's doing here at, at our church. Maybe there's some other way that God's working in your life. Maybe you have a prayer need, something you want to share with your church family, you want us to be praying with you about. On the back side of those cards, there's a place where you can write down a a prayer request. And those of you watching online, if you have a question about a decision or if you have a prayer need that you'd like us to pray with, just email us here at the church, nhbc at nationalheights.org, and we'll be glad to do that with you. Whatever way God is, is leading in your life this morning, you listen, responding to his call today as we sing together.